Hello everyone, I'm Kara Schott, the host for today's episode of Nine to Thrive HR. Thanks for joining us. On this podcast channel, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today I'm joined by Gina Smith, Senior Vice President, Human Resources, and Head of Global Executive and Creative Recruitment at LVMH. Welcome, Gina, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Kara. It's very nice to be here with you. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with LVMH, it encompasses over 60 brands, one of the most recognizable being a Louis Vuitton. And I'm really interested in your title, specifically the use of the term creative recruitment. And creativity is at the center of your brands and products. But what does creative recruitment specifically mean for you at LVMH? Well, in in my role, it really is focused on creative talents, i.e. design talent, and even creativity in the sense of brand building, marketing, art directors. So there's the executive side of my role, which is, of course, pretty standard, general managers. But the creative side, as, as you pointed out, is the epicenter of our group. And so making sure that we have access to the best creative talents, both at senior levels, but also at junior levels, working with different fashion, art, and design schools around the world is another really important part of my role. And what business challenge spurred the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within your role? Well, I think like any organization today that's a consumer-facing company, the business challenge is just being able to you know, ensure that you are attractive, both as an employer and as a, as a business, to the world that we live in, which is you know, a very diverse world, as we know. And exactly for our group, you know, we've got the international diversity. We're, you know, of course, represented really in every country around the world. And you have the, the nuances and the differences between the European customer, who, again, is not a monolithic customer, the Asian customer, who is also not monolithic, and certainly the U.S. customer, who's very diverse. So we need to make sure that we're able to deliver to, the, to all of those customers from a business standpoint, from a brand standpoint, and then also be attractive as a place to work. Because the more that we're able to create a diverse workforce, the more that we're going to be able to satisfy our customers. So it's really a virtuous circle that, that has to work together. So I think it's a fundamental core element of our business model. What has been the biggest obstacle that you have had to overcome as part of this diversity, equity, and inclusion journey? You know, there's there's certainly obstacles and there are conventional ways of thinking within the luxury industry, which you have to remember, even though our brands, it's sort of a unique paradox because even though our brands in some cases are hundreds of years old, the industry of luxury itself as a business and as a global business is still relatively young. For example, LVMH was created as a group only in 1987, which isn't that long ago, especially when you look at the size of our group today. So I think historically, these brands being predominantly European businesses targeting a European customer with a European point of view was the way that the brands were represented for many, many years as they were launched into these countries around the world. 
And, you know, we faced that in Asia. And again, Asia, you have a Japanese customer, a Korean customer, a Chinese customer who all have very different ways of living, different um, products and services that appeal to them and different usages and, and certainly North America. So I think one of the biggest challenges has really been just the maturation of our industry coming from historically in many cases, small family businesses to become big global brands and creating that level of consistency from a brand, but also becoming reflective of the world that we live in and transitioning more and more away from the more traditional European point of view and perspective, which, by the way, was also pretty male dominated many years ago as well. So that's, you know, bringing in diversity from race, ethnicity, gender, and just the different representing the markets that we operate in. That is an interesting paradox. And what I also found interesting about your organization specifically is those brands, there are very few things uh, more ubiquitous, you know, than the Louis Vuitton pattern, right? It sort of transcends um, certainly language, uh, country, you know, it's something that I think inherently kind of brings people together because it's so recognizable um, across the globe. And circling back to the number of brands under your umbrella, I can imagine that there are inherent challenges given the diversity of those brands. And, you know, if I, I took a few minutes to look on your website to see the daily lives of your employees and that diversity of skill set alone was tremendous across all of the different things that you guys are doing. So how are you maintaining consistency across those channels when it comes to recruitment, um, certainly diversity, equity, and inclusion practices? Is that something that you find to be a big challenge? Well, first of all, I want to just you know thank you for the comments that you made about Louis Vuitton and sort of being this recognizable brand that really brings people together, which is at the heart of what we've been trying to do for so many years, because ultimately we want to build the brand in the mind of people in a very authentic and in a very deep way. In a strange way, it's not about selling product, it's about building a brand. And then the consequence of that, if you do it the right way, at least in our perspective, is that you sell product, right? That becomes the, the, the positive consequence of really building a brand and really embedding the brands in the culture and in the hearts and minds of people. Um, so thank you for acknowledging that you see evidence of us being able to do that. Um, as it relates to people and the recruitment challenges, that's one of the most exciting elements of LVMH, as you point out, is the diversity of brands, the diversity of categories, and the diversity of talents and needs that we have across each of the businesses. And I think it always starts for us, it's not so much about having consistency, certainly not across the group per se, because we have a very decentralized way of working. We try to maintain the integrity and the authenticity of each and every brand and make sure that that stays intact and recognize the values of each brand and then embed those in the organization, in the way that we work, in the talent we source, and then identify within each of the businesses the unique job skills, savoir-faire, as we refer to it, capabilities that we need to continue cultivating that brand. 
And so there are some similarities. I mean, for example, you have you have artisans that you know develop the product, uh, leather goods, let's say, maybe not a totally dissimilar process between Louis Vuitton and Dior, but but definitely different at- ateliers that they work with, different um, sometimes manufacturers that they would work with again, because each brand is able to sort of, you know, choose how they want to approach that and how they want to develop their product. So it's not, again, it's not so much about trying to have a level of consistency as much as it is trying to do things for each brand that really reflect the values, the DNA, the heritage of that brand. And then I think that's one of the great aspects of being an employee at LVMH is that you can actually have an extremely rich career within the group, but you can have such a diverse career because if you work in wines and spirits, it's going to be a totally different experience and even a very different culture and way of working than at Remova or at you know Tiffany today. And that's something that we really value and, and work so hard to maintain across the group. And just you know, hearing uh, that detailed response, I think what must be part of this success is how tied you are to the business, the business strategy and the brand strategy, which is fantastic and and kind of what you would expect or to need. Right. But that isn't always true um, within other HR and, and talent acquisition functions in other organizations. I think that alignment between the business and HR is oftentimes missing it doesn't sound like that's the case at all for you. How did you get there? Is that just inherent in the culture at LVMH? Is that something that you have had to lead to make sure that that connection is strong? Well, I think it's an interesting question, and I and I agree with you. I think there are certainly companies that do it really well, and then you know there are other companies that are still on that journey. And probably we have, you know, there are probably even brands within the group where maybe they're not where they would want to be in that in that perspective. But one thing we we definitely understand, and it's one of the th- reasons that I was so excited to join LVMH ten years ago, and it's one of the reasons that keeps me here because the organization is very much grounded around people and recognizing and our core value is that people make the difference because the reality is everything that we do, whether it's the creation of the product, the marketing of the product, the delivery of the product to the customer, all of this happens through human beings. It's not happening sort of behind the scenes with technology or computer coding. It's physical, it's people making and doing these jobs. So there's always been, and it really comes directly from the owner founder, Mr. Arnaud, who has always had this aspiration to make sure that LVMH is an extremely attractive place to work and that our brands are. And we put a lot of effort and energy behind that and that we are able to have access to you know, best people across all functions, all areas, and all levels. Now, I'm not saying that we're perfect in doing that, but it's absolutely our aspiration to be able to achieve that. So we always understood the importance of having, you know, absolutely taught people, engaged people, passionate people that are very connected to the brands and the business. And so that being a cornerstone of the group philosophy and the HR philosophy sort of does put you at the center of being able to be close to the business. 
we do have very rigorous uh, succession planning and uh, what we call our organization management review. That's very, very intense. We do it every year. It's done by each brand. It's done by each region. And then there's a big global synthesis. And it always starts in every case with the business strategy what's happening today, what's the plan over the next few years, and then you derive your HR strategy from that. And so I think we know that in order to achieve anything in business, again, it goes back to the heart being, we have to have the right people that are going to make that happen. And by right, it's about, you know, again, the passion, the energy, the experience, the competency, the drive, the creativity. And so that really is a cornerstone of our of our group philosophy. And it sounds like he's the president has done a a very good job of uh, instilling that, you know, it does start at the top. So thank you. I appreciate that insight. You know, getting back a little bit to something we haven't covered yet, uh, the elephant in the room, (laughs) this ongoing pandemic that we're all working through. What if any silver linings have come out of the pandemic over the last 18 months as they relate to your role or the culture in general at LVMH? Well, it's certainly been a very, you know, difficult period, I think, for all of us. And, you know, not easy to navigate for for any business. And especially if you're a business that is centered around retail and the experience of retail. And we know we know a lot of the challenges that groups like ours have faced and employees face and continue to face in a retail environment. So but I do think, to your point, um, and, and usually it is in sort of these moments of crises or traumatic events where some of the greatest innovations and in creativity come out. And we have seen that. I would say probably one of the most critical areas has been around digital. And, and obviously digital and e-commerce is nothing new, and it's nothing new for our group. But we when we when we had to shut our stores almost around the world at the same time for an extended amount of time which you know nothing like that had ever happened before as we know we still wanted to find a way of course when it was the right moment to be able to engage with our customers and so not only did e-commerce become important but there were some amazing digital tools that were developed by some of our employees actually to you know to to better communicate and engage with their customers and some of those were even developed here in North America by some of our digital teams because the US and China I think have been more on the leading edge of digital and so we have some really incredible talents here who are able to very quickly develop some new technologies and new tools that in some cases have even been rolled out in North America. I I think I would say another thing that for me was a very critical is our group is like many global brands. There are a lot of, there's a lot of decision-making that actually happens at the headquarters. And last year, it just wasn't really possible to work that way. The changes were happening so fast in the market and you needed people that were on the ground that could make decisions and go. And so there was a lot more autonomy that was given to regions and to different people in the organizations. And you really saw people step up to the challenge. And again, coming up with new creative ways of working, engaging with their customers, engaging with their employees. And that was extraordinary to see that. And so, you know, it's always about finding the right balance between the headquarters versus a region, centralized versus decentralized. But I think it really demonstrated the level of creativity, innovation, entrepreneurial thinking of our employees. And so for me, that's, again, another key element. And the last thing I would say is 
you have seen and you will continue to see the shift in the way leaders manage people. We've literally been in the homes of our employees and they have been in our homes. So these barriers between work and life and home have really sort of disappeared. And I think that was a good thing. And it's, it's really has showed us that we're all human. And, you know, when you have these crazy Zooms and like someone's child is running in the back or something, I mean, for me, it's a reminder of the human that you're, that you're interacting with on the other side. And so it's bringing and will continue to bring, I believe, a much more empathetic leadership, which is essential and critical. So for me, that's really a great outcome in a very difficult time period. And I think that specifically, you mentioned before that, you know, your workplace had been at some point heavily male dominated. I think this idea now of being able to be more human at work is even more helpful for women in the workplace that have families, you know, because personally speaking, I know many times you feel like you can't be fully transparent about a family conflict. And I think oftentimes men don't have that issue as frequently as women do. So I agree. I think that's been a really great change that I've seen as well. Yeah. I think that people have more, um, a better understanding of, again, just the human side. You know, when we're at work, we're not just a, an employee. We have this whole life behind us. And again, now we've had a peek at what that actually looks like for people. And so, it's hard for you to just go back and pretend like, well, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen some of the trials and the tribulations and some of the day-to-day challenges that our employees face. And so I think it's inherently making everybody a little bit more empathetic. And and we also recognize more and more that we need to create, at the end of the day, we have to create environments where people want to come to work, where they want to participate, where they where they feel free to add value to create where they feel that their ideas are being heard. And, you know, for us, we definitely had challenges historically with the number of women in senior positions around the world. And it was always sort of a strange paradox because our brands predominantly target women. And so the fact that you would have a lot of men making decisions on things like, you know, women's apparel or women's handbags or women's makeup just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, it just, of course they can have a point of view, but it's, you need to have a woman weighing into that. So that's why in 2007, we really put together a strategy to increase the the level of representation of women from 23% to 40%. And today our objective is 50-50. And, and we continue to always raise the bar and it's, it's no different on the broader, you know, diversity inclusion. And in North America, we have a big focus on people of color, of course, and ensuring that we have representation at the most senior levels of the organization. And we start with North America because it's easier. In Europe, it's still very difficult to track race and ethnicity. Um, we don't even ask our employees. It's not really allowed to do that. But we can certainly start here. And this is a big enough market you know, China and the U.S. are the largest markets and and certainly where the future growth is. So we're really able to have very significant impact in this area. Did you find that the implementation of hard metrics like the ones you just referenced have been key to your success so that you have something to track against? Or what has been the view there in terms of 
um, you know, softer indicators that you guys are looking at to measure your, your diversity, equity, and inclusion programs? I do think it's important to have very tangible KPIs and to communicate those consistently so that people know and are held accountable. In one of the things last year that we encountered in North America after the murder of George Floyd, which of course was a very difficult time in our country, um, there was really a big outcry from a lot of our employees and customers to see the group doing more to support people of color, and particularly Black and African Americans. And so there was almost a call to and a frenzy almost to show that you were you know, visiting HBCUs or that you were hosting events. And to be honest, I sort of, res- I mean, of course, we held a number of different initiatives and events and focus groups and town halls, and it was instrumental in our ability to really understand how our employees felt, but to develop a long-term strategy, because I don't think actions without any sort of concrete objective and goal just become actions. And not to say that they're not important, but if you really want to change the organization or if you want to transform, you need to understand what is success going to look like and how, how, again, how do we hold ourselves and our teams accountable for that? And so for me, it was very important to say, it's great if we visit schools, but what is, what's the objective of doing that? Are we going to set a recruitment uh, KPI that says we want to have X number of interns or students coming from these schools. So when we brought our head of DNI, when he started, you know, he very quickly was able to develop a very robust strategy for us, DNI, long-term strategy around people, business, and brand. And so now it's really clear for us and doesn't mean it won't change and evolve, but we have our sort of North Star where we're going. And in five years, we'll be able to say, you know, have we been successful or not? Where do we need to turn the volume up? You know, what have we learned? And we, of course, analyze it every year. But I think it's essential that you really have objectives that are very clear, understood, and again, holding people accountable for delivering against that. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's not just about, you know, you want to do it in the right way. You want to embed this in the organization and the culture. So even, for example, with women, when we first set our KPI to say from 43 to 40%, we said that we wanted to do that within 10 years. It took us 11 years. That's okay because we did it still in the right way. You know, even though it took us a year longer, nobody was questioning the decisions we made. The women that were in these positions, they were successful. So ultimately, you want to make sure that these actions also are successful in the organization. So it's the KPIs, the timeline, but then don't be afraid to adjust a little bit if you need to, if, if you just need a little bit more time as you're going through the journey and learning. Do you find that you had to spend a significant amount of time or resources getting agreement and alignment around this vision internally throughout other functional areas of your organization? I don't think that we, I don't think so. I feel that, again, the hardest thing for us was being able to convey to a European headquarter a comfort level in talking about race. and. I think it's it's important to understand that it was never a question of their supporting initiatives around DNI. And again, I think we have a longstanding history of, of doing that around the world and within many of our businesses. But the conversation around race is something that 
we are having in North America, as you know, on the business side and on the HR side. And that was just the idea of that was very uncomfortable for a lot of our European colleagues. And in, in order to combat that, we spent a lot of time hosting webinars and virtual Zooms with many of our European colleagues on the HR and the business side. And actually, we had people from all over the world where we just sort of inform them about the history of race in North America. Why is this important? And really just to bring a greater understanding and awareness and a comfort level, because it's some of our employees would be upset that in France, they wouldn't you know, make a comment and support, let's say, a Black Lives Matter. It was never a question of them supporting or not, but they didn't really understand the context in the U.S., and what that meant. So if they're going to say something, they want to be able to say that with authenticity and really depth. So I think that was the biggest challenge for us is to really help bring awareness and understanding to our colleagues around the world of what was happening in the U.S., why this was so important and why we needed to talk about it and we needed them to talk about it and support it. I think that's a very thoughtful approach and and certainly just you know, the geography of differing perspectives throughout the globe adds another layer of complication, I'm sure. For our final question here, Gino, what advice would you have for a smaller organization who might just be starting a diversity, equity, and inclusion practice for the first time? I mean, the best thing that I did personally is First of all, of course, hiring my amazing head of DNI, Corey Smith, who is really an expert. And I think it's it's really essential that you have somebody that uh, is an expert that understands the space of DEI and can really be a partner um, because it is a very complex functional area. And as much as many of us in HR have a passion for it. It is a very, it's an expertise. And so I think it's really critical that you partner with someone that has an expertise. And we were fortunate to have even other consultants that we had worked with for years that have always been great partners for us. And then I really just encourage people to educate and inform yourself. And one of the things that we heard very consistently from our Black and African-American employees is that they were tired of feeling that it was their responsibility to educate on race. And so that was right away, we heard that and we said, you know what, that's okay, amazing, because we can help provide education to our employees. So we have our LVMH house, which is our learning and development center, and we set a whole section on DE&I, and we have videos and virtual learning sessions and books and all sorts of resources that employees can go to and have a self-guided learning journey. So I think it's really educating and understanding, talking to your employees, understanding from them what's important. What One of the things we found in some of our focus groups is that, you know, for example, there would be a lot of misconceptions of what employees felt that we weren't doing or that we weren't doing well or wasn't a priority to us. And in some cases, we were actually doing those things. But you realize, okay, well, we have a communication issue because employees aren't even aware of this. So listening is also critical. And again, before we really put together our DEI strategy, we had multiple focus groups and listening sessions guided by a professional consultant in DEI that were able to help inform 
what our DEI strategy needed to be. So it's very bespoke for our organization, for our people, for our needs, for our culture. And that would be, I guess, my final piece is to say, really align it to who you are as an organization. It's not just about looking at what other companies are doing. Make sure that your DE&I strategy is very much aligned to who you are as an organization and, and as you were saying, to your business strategy. That's how I think we're going to have the most success because it will be easy for people to understand. It will make sense to them. And therefore, it will be easier to get everybody on board driving to the success and being able to achieve the objectives we've set for ourselves. Thank you, Gina. I uh, want to echo the sentiment around alignment to business strategy. I think that importance cannot be overlooked. Thank you for your insight uh, and your time today. And thank you, 9 to Thrive listeners. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in.